one of the Iliad of Homer, rendered into English blank verse by Edward, Earl of Derby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Your reader, Michael Armenta. Argument The Contention of Achilles and Agamemnon In the War of Troy, the Greeks, having sacked some of the neighboring towns, and taken from thence two beautiful captives, Chryseis and Briseis, allotted the first to Agamemnon, and the last to Achilles. Chryses, the father of Chryseis and priest of Apollo, comes to the Grecian camp to ransom her, with which the action of the poem opens in the tenth year of the siege. The priest, being refused and insolently dismissed by Agamemnon, entreats for vengeance from his god, who inflicts a pestilence on the Greeks. Achilles calls a council and encourages Calchas to declare the cause of it, who attributes it to the refusal of Chryseis. The king, being obliged to send back his captive, enters into a furious contest with Achilles, which Nestor pacifies. However, as he had the absolute command of the army, he seizes on Briseis in revenge. Achilles, in discontent, withdraws himself and his forces from the rest of the Greeks, and complaining to Thetis, she supplicates Jupiter to render them sensible of the wrong done to her son by giving victory to the Trojans. Jupiter, granting her suit, incenses Juno, between whom the debate runs high, till they are reconciled by the address of Vulcan. The time of two and twenty days is taken up in this book, nine during the plague, one in the council and quarrel of the princes, and twelve for Jupiter's stay among the Ethiopians, at whose return Thetis prefers her petition. The scene lies in the Grecian camp, then changes to Chrysa, and lastly to Olympus. Of Peleus's son, Achilles, sing, O muse, the vengeance deep and deadly, whence to Greece unnumbered ills arose, which many a soul of mighty warriors to the viewless shades untimely sent. They on the battle-plain unburied lay, a prey to ravening dogs and carrion birds. But so had Jove decreed from that sad day when first in wordy war the mighty Agamemnon, king of men, confronted 
stood by Peleus's godlike son. Say then, what god the fatal strife provoked? Jove's and Latona's son. He, filled with wrath against the king, with deadly pestilence, the camp afflicted, and the people died. For Chryses' sake, his priest, whom Atreus' son with scorn dismissed, when to the Grecian ships he came, his captive daughter to redeem, with costly ransom charged, and in his hand the sacred fillet of his god he bore, and golden staff. To all he sued, but chief to Atreus' sons, twin captains of the host. Ye sons of Atreus, and ye well-grieved Greeks, may the great gods, who on Olympus dwell, grant you yon hostile city to destroy, and home return in safety. But my child, restore, I pray, her proffered ransom take, and in his priest the Lord of Light revere. Then through the ranks assenting murmurs ran, the priest to reverence, and the ransom take. Not so Atrides, he with haughty mien and bitter speech the trembling sire addressed. Old man, I warn thee, that beside our ships I find thee not, or lingering now, or back returning, lest thou prove of small avail thy golden staff and fillet of thy god. Her I release not, till her youth be fled within my walls in argos far from home her lot is cast domestic cares to ply and share a master's bed for thee be gone incense me not lest ill betide thee now he said the old man trembled and obeyed. Beside the many dashing ocean's shore, silent he passed, and all apart he prayed to great Apollo, fair Latona's son. Hear me, god of the silver bow, whose care Chrysa surrounds, and Scylla's lovely veil, whose sovereign sway o'er Tenedos extends. O Smintheus, hear, if e'er my offered gifts found favour in thy sight, if e'er to thee I burned the fat of bulls and choicest goats, grant me this boon. Upon the Grecian host let thine unerring darts avenge my tears. Thus, as he prayed, his prayer Apollo heard. Along Olympus's heights he passed, his heart burning with wrath. Behind his shoulders hung his bow and ample quiver, 
at his back rattled the fateful arrows as he moved. Like the night cloud he passed, and from afar he bent against the ships and sped the bolt, and fierce and deadly twanged the silver bow. First on the mules and dogs, on man the last was poured the arrowy storm, and through the camp, constant and numerous, blazed the funeral fires. Nine days the heavenly archer on the troops hurled his dread shafts. The tenth the assembled Greeks Achilles called to council, so inspired by Juno, white-armed goddess, who beheld with pitying eyes the wasting hosts of Greece. When all were met, and closely thronged around, rose the swift-footed chief, and thus began. Great son of Atreus, to my mind there seems, if we would scape from death, one only course, home to retrace our steps, since here at once by war and pestilence our forces waste. But seek we first some prophet or some priest or some wise vision seer, since visions too from Jove proceed, who may the cause explain which with such deadly wrath Apollo fires, if for neglected hecatombs or prayers he blame us, or if fat of lambs and goats may soothe his anger and the plague assuage. This said, he sat, and Thestor's son arose, Calchas, the chief of seers, to whom were known the present and the future and the past, who, by his mystic art, Apollo's gift, guided to Ilium's shore the Grecian fleet, who thus with cautious speech replied and said, Achilles, loved of heaven, thou bidst me say why thus incensed the far-destroying king, therefore I speak, but promise thou, and swear by word and hand, to bear me harmless through, for well I know my speech must one offend the Argive chief, or all the Greeks supreme, and terrible to men of low estate the anger of a king. For though a while he veil his wrath, Yet in his bosom pent it still is nursed, until the time arrive. Say, then, wilt thou protect me if I speak? Him answered thus Achilles, swift of foot. Speak boldly out, whate'er thine art can tell, for by Apollo's self I swear, whom thou O Calchas, servest, and who thy words inspires, that while I live and see the light of heaven, not one of all the Greeks shall dare on thee, 
beside our ships, injurious hands to lay. No, not if Agamemnon's self were he, who mid our warriors boasts the foremost place. Emboldened thus, the unerring prophet spoke. Not for neglected hecatombs or prayers, but for his priest, whom Agamemnon scorned, nor took his ransom, nor his child restored. On his account the far destroyer sent this scourge of pestilence, and yet will send. Nor shall we cease his heavy hand to feel, till to her sire we give the bright-eyed girl, unbought, unransomed and to Chrysa's shore a solemn hecatomb dispatch. This done, the god appeased, his anger may remit. This said, he sat, and Atreus's godlike son, the mighty monarch Agamemnon, rose, his dark soul filled with fury, and his eyes flashing like flames of fire. On Calchas first a withering glance he cast, and thus he spoke. Prophet of ill, thou never speak'st to me but words of evil omen, for thy soul delights to augur ill, but aught of good thou never yet hast promised nor performed. And now, among the Greeks, thou spreadst abroad thy lying prophecies, that all these ills come from the far destroyer, for that I refused the ransom of my lovely prize, and that I rather chose herself to keep, to me not less than Clytemnestra dear, my virgin-wedded wife, nor less adorned in gifts of form, of feature, or of mind. Yet if it must be so, I give her back. I wish my people's safety, not their death. But seek me out forthwith some other spoil, lest empty-handed I alone appear of all the Greeks for this would ill be seen, and how I lose my present share, ye see. To whom Achilles, swift of foot, replied, Haughtiest of men, and greediest of the prey, how shall our valiant Greeks for thee seek out some other spoil? No common fund have we of hoarded treasures. What our arms have won from captured towns has been already shared. Nor can we now resume the apportioned spoil. Restore the maid, obedient to the god. And if heaven will that we the strong-built walls of Troy should raise, our warriors will to thee a threefold, fourfold recompense aside. To whom the monarch Agamemnon thus, 
think not, Achilles. Valiant though thou art in fight, and godlike, to defraud me thus, thou shalt not so persuade me, nor o'erreach. Think'st thou to keep thy portion of the spoil, while I with empty hands sit humbly down? The bright-eyed girl thou bidst me to restore? If, then, the valiant Greeks for me seek out some other spoil, some compensation just, tis well. If not, I with my own right hand will from some other chief, from thee perchance, or Ajax, or Ulysses, rest his prey, and woe to him on whomsoe'er I call. But this for future counsel we remit. Haste we then now our dark-ribbed bark to launch, muster a fitting crew, and place on board the sacred hecatomb. Then last embark the fair Chryseis, and in chief command let some one of our counsellors be placed, Ajax, or Ulysses, or Idomeneus, or thou, the most ambitious of them all, that so our rights may soothe the angry god. To whom Achilles thus with scornful glance, O oh, clothed in shamelessness, O oh, sordid soul, how canst thou hope that any Greek for thee will brave the toils of travel or of war? Well dost thou know that twas no feud of mine with Troy's brave sons that brought me here in arms. They never did me wrong, they never drove my cattle or my horses, never sought in Phthia's fertile life-sustaining fields to waste the crops. For wide between us lay the shadowy mountains and the roaring sea. With thee, O void of shame, with thee we sailed, for Menelaus and for thee, ingrate, glory and fame on Trojan crests to win. All this hast thou forgotten, or despised, and threatenest now to wrest from me the prize I labored hard to win, and Greeks bestowed? Nor does my portion ever equal thine, when on some populous town our troops have made successful war. In the contentious fight, the larger portion of the toil is mine. But when the day of distribution comes, thine is the richest spoil, while I, forsooth, must be too well content to bear on board some paltry prize for all my warlike toil. To Phthia now I go, so better far to steer my homeward course, and leave thee here, but little I deem dishonouring me. 
to fill thy coffers with the spoils of war. Whom answered Agamemnon, king of men, Fly then, if such thy mind, I ask thee not on mine account to stay, Others there are will guard my honour, And avenge my cause, And chief of all, the lord of counsel, Jove, Of all the heaven-born kings, Thou art the man I hate, the most, for thou delight'st in naught but war and strife. Thy prowess I allow, yet this, remember, is the gift of heaven. Return then with thy vessels, if thou wilt, and with thy followers home, and lord it there over thy myrmidons. I heed thee not. I care not for thy fury, hear my threat. Since Phoebus wrests Chryseis from my arms, In mine own ship, and with mine own good crew, Her I send forth, and in her stead, I mean even from thy tent, Myself to bear thy prize, the fair Briseis. That henceforth thou know how far I am thy master, And that, taught by thine example, Others too may fear to rival me, And brave me to my face. Thus while he spake, Achilles chafed with rage and in his manly breast his heart was torn with thoughts conflicting, whether from his side to draw his mighty sword, and thrusting by the assembled throng, to kill the insulting king, or school his soul, and keep his anger down. But while in mind and spirit thus he mused, and half unsheathed his sword, from heaven came down Minerva, sent by Juno, white-armed queen, whose love and care both chiefs alike enjoyed. She stood behind, and by the yellow hair she held the son of Peleus, visible to him alone, by all the rest unseen. Achilles, wondering, turned and straight he knew the blue-eyed palace awful was her glance whom thus the chief with winged words addressed why comest thou child of aegis-sparing jove to see the arrogance of atreus's son but this i say and will make good my words this insolence may cost him soon his life. To whom the blue-eyed goddess thus replied, From heaven I came to curb, if thou wilt hear, thy fury, sent by Juno, white-armed queen, whose love and care ye both alike enjoy, 
Cease, then, these broils, and draw not thus thy sword. In words, indeed, assail him as thou wilt. But this I promise, and will make it good. A time shall come, when for this insolence a threefold compensation shall be thine. Only be swayed by me, and curb thy wrath. Whom answered thus Achilles, swift of foot? Goddess, I needs must yield to your commands, indignant though I be, for so tis best. Who hears the gods, of them his prayers are heard. He said, and on the silver hilt he stayed his powerful hand and flung his mighty sword back to its scabbard, to Minerva's word obedient. She her heavenward course pursued to join the immortals in the abode of Jove. But Peleus's son, with undiminished wrath, Atrides thus with bitter words addressed. Thou sought with eye of dog and heart of deer who never darest to lead in armed fight the assembled hosts nor with a chosen few to man the secret ambush for thou fearst to look on death no doubt tis easier far girt with thy troops to plunder of his right who e'er may venture to oppose thy will a tyrant king, because thou rulest over slaves. Were it not so, this insult were thy last. But this I say, and with an oath confirm, by this my royal staff, which never more shall put forth leaf nor spray since first it left upon the mountain-side its parent stem nor blossomed more since all round the axe hath lopped both leaf and bark and now tis born emblem of justice by the sons of greece who guard the sacred ministry of law before the face of jove a mighty oath the time shall come when all the sons of Greece shall mourn Achilles' loss, and thou, the while heart rent, shalt be all impotent to aid, when by the warrior slayer Hector's hand many shall fall, and then thy soul shall mourn the slight on Grecia's bravest warrior cast. Thus spoke Pelides, and upon the ground he cast his staff, with golden studs embossed, and took his seat. On the other side, in wrath, Atrides burned. But Nestor interposed. Nestor, the leader of the Pylian host, the smooth-tongued chief, from whom from whose persuasive lips sweeter than honey flowed the stream of speech 
two generations of the sons of men for him were passed and gone who with himself were born and bred on pylos's lovely shore and o'er the third he now held royal sway he thus with prudent words the chiefs addressed alas alas what grief is this for greece what joy for priam and for priam's sons what exultation for the men of troy to hear of feuds tween you of all the greeks the first in council and the first in fight yet hear my words i pray in years at least ye both must yield to me and in times past i lived with men and they despised me not abler in counsel greater than yourselves such men i never saw and ne'er shall see as pyrithous and dryas wise and brave sinus exodius godlike polypheme and theseus aegeus is more than mortal son the mightiest they among the sons of men the mightiest they and of the forest beasts strove with the mightiest and their rage subdued with them from distant lands from pylos's shore i joined my forces and their call obeyed with them i played my part with them not one would dare to fight of mortals now on earth yet they my counsels heard my voice obeyed and hear ye also for my words are wise nor thou though great thou be attempt to rob achilles of his prize but let him keep the spoil assigned him by the sons of greece nor thou pelides with the monarch strive in rivalry for ne'er to sceptred king hath jove such powers as to atrides given and valiant though thou art and goddess born yet mightier he for wider is his sway atrides curb thy wrath while i beseech achilles to forbear in whom the greeks from adverse war their great defender see to whom the monarch agamemnon thus o father full of wisdom are thy words but this proud chief o'er all would domineer o'er all he seeks to rule o'er all to reign to all to dictate which i will not bear grant that the gods have given him warlike might gave they unbridled license to his tongue to whom achilles interrupting thus coward and slave indeed i might be deemed 
could I submit to make thy word my law, to others thy commands. Seek not to me to dictate, for I follow thee no more. But hear me speak, and ponder what I say. For the fair girl I fight not, since you choose to take away the prize yourselves bestowed, with thee or any one. But of the rest my dark swift ship contains, against my will on naught shalt thou unpunished lay thy hand. Make trial, if thou wilt, that these may know thy life-blood soon should reek upon my spear. After this conflict, keen of angry speech, the chiefs arose, the assembly was dispersed. With his own followers, and Menetius' son, Achilles to his tents and ships withdrew. But Atreus' son launched a swift sailing bark, with twenty rowers manned, and placed on board the sacred hecatomb. Then last embarked the fair Chryseis, and in chief command Laertes' son, the sage Ulysses, placed. They swiftly sped along the watery way. Next, proclamation through the camp was made to purify the host, and in the sea, obedient to the word, they purified. Then to Apollo solemn rites performed, with faultless hecatombs of bulls and goats, upon the margin of a watery waste, and, wreathed in smoke, the savour rose to heaven. The camp thus occupied, the king pursued his threatened plan of vengeance. To his side, calling Talthybius and Eurybates, heralds and faithful followers, thus he spoke. Haste to Achilles' tent, and in your hand, back with you, thence, the fair Briseis, bring. If he refuse to send her, I myself, with a sufficient force, will bear her thence, which he may find, perchance, the worse for him. So spake the monarch, and with stern command dismissed them. With reluctant steps they passed along the margin of the watery waste, till to the tents and ships they came, where lay the warlike Myrmidons. Their chief they found, sitting beside his tent and dark-ribbed ship. Achilles marked their coming, not well pleased, with troubled mien and awe-struck by the king. They stood, nor dared accost him, but himself divined their errand, and addressed them thus. Welcome, ye messengers of gods and men, heralds, approach in safety. Not with you, but with Atreides is my just offence, who for the fair Briseis sends you here. Go then, Patroclus, Bring the maiden forth, and give her to their hands. But witness ye, 
before the blessed gods and mortal men, and to the face of that injurious king, when he shall need my arm from shameful rout to save his followers. Blinded by his rage, he neither heeds experience of the past, nor scans the future, provident how best to guard his fleet and army from the foe. He spoke. Obedient to his friend and chief, Patroclus led the fair Briseis forth, and gave her to their hands. They to the ships retraced their steps, and with them the fair girl reluctant went. Meanwhile Achilles, plunged in bitter grief, from all the band apart, upon the margin of the hoary sea, sat idly gazing on the dark blue waves. And to his goddess mother long he prayed with outstretched hands. O oh, mother, since thy son to early death by destiny is doomed, I might have hoped the thunderer on high, Olympian Jove, with honour would have crowned my little space. But now disgrace is mine, since Agamemnon, the wide-ruling king, hath wrested from me, and still holds my prize. Weeping, he spoke. His goddess-mother heard beside her aged father where she sat in the deep ocean caves ascending quick through the dark waves like to a misty cloud beside her son she stood and as he wept she gently touched him with her hand and said why weeps my son and whence his cause of grief speak out that I may hear, and share thy pain. To whom Achilles, swift of foot, replied, groaning, Thou knowest what boots to tell thee all. On Thebes we marched, Eetian's sacred town, and stormed the walls, and hither bore the spoil. The spoils were fairly by the sons of Greece apportioned out, and to Atrides' share the beauteous daughter of old Chryses fell. Chryses, Apollo's priest, to free his child, came to the encampment of the brass-clad Greeks, with costly ransom charged, and in his hand the sacred fillet of his god he bore, and golden staff, to all he sued, but chief to Atreus's sons, twin captains of the host. Then through the ranks assenting murmurs ran, the priest to reverence, and the ransom take. Not so Atreides, he with haughty mien and bitter words the trembling sire dismissed. The old man turned in sorrow, but his prayer Phoebus Apollo heard, who loved him well. Against the Greeks 
he bent his fatal bow, and fast the people fell. On every side, throughout the camp, the heavenly arrows flew. A skilful seer, at length, the cause revealed, why thus incensed the archer-god. I, then, the first, gave counsel to appease his wrath, whereat Atrides, full of fury, rose, and uttered threats, which he hath now fulfilled. For Chryses' daughter, to her native land, in a swift-sailing ship, the keen-eyed Greeks have sent, with costly offerings to the god, but her, assigned me by the sons of Greece, Briseis' fair daughter, from my tent, e'en now the heralds bear away. Then, goddess, thou, if thou hast power, protect thine injured son. Fly to Olympus, to the feet of Jove, and make thy prayer to him, if on his heart thou hast, in truth, by word or deed, a claim. For I remember, in thy father's house, I oft have heard thee boast, how thou, alone of all the immortals, Saturn's cloud-girt son, didst shield from foul disgrace, when all the rest, Juno and Neptune and Minerva, joined with chains to bind him, then, O goddess, thou didst set him free, invoking to his aid him of the hundred arms, whom Briareus, the immortal gods, and men, Aegean, call. He, mightier than his father, took his seat by Saturn's side, in pride of conscious strength. Fear seized on all the gods, nor did they dare to bind their king. Fear seized on all the gods, nor did they dare to bind their king. Of this remind him now, and clasp his knees, and supplicate his aid for Troy's brave warriors, that the routed Greeks back to their ships with slaughter may be driven that all may taste the folly of their king, and Agamemnon's haughty self may mourn the slight on Grecia's bravest warrior cast. Thus he, and Thetis, weeping, thus replied, Alas, my child, that e'er I gave thee birth, Wouldst that beside thy ships thou couldst remain from grief exempt and insult, since by fate few years are thine, and not a lengthened term, that once to early death and sorrows doomed beyond the lot of man. In evil hour I gave thee birth, but to the snow-clad heights of great Olympus, to the throne of Jove who wields the thunder, 
thy complaints I bear. Thou, by the ships, meanwhile, against the Greeks thine anger nurse, and from the fight abstain. For Jove is to a solemn banquet gone beyond the sea, on Ethiopia's shore, since yesternight, and with him all the gods. On the twelfth day he purposed to return to high Olympus. Thither, then, will I, and to his feet, my supplication make. And he, I think, will not deny my suit. This said, she disappeared, and left him there. Musing in anger on the lovely form torn from his arms by violence away. Meantime, Ulysses, with his sacred freight, arrived at Chrysa's strand, and when his bark had reached the shelter of the deep sea bay, their sails they furled and lowered to the hold, slacked the retaining shrouds and quickly struck and stowed away the mast. Then with their sweeps pulled for the beach, and cast their anchors out, and made her fast with cables to the shore. Then on the shingly breakwater themselves they landed, and the sacred hecatomb to great Apollo, and Chryseis last. Her to the altar straight Ulysses led the wise in counsel. In her father's hand he placed the maiden, and addressed him thus. Chryses, from Agamemnon, king of men, to thee I come, thy daughter to restore, and to thy god upon the Greeks' behalf, to offer sacrifice, if haply so we may appease his wrath, who now, incensed with grievous suffering, visits all our host. Then to her sire he gave her, he with joy received his child, the sacred hecatomb, Around the well-built altar for the god, in order due, they placed. Their hands then washed, and the salt cake prepared. Before them all, with hands uplifted, Chryses prayed aloud. Hear me, god of the silver bow, whose care Chrysa surrounds, and Scylla's lovely veil whose sovereign sway o'er Tenedos extends. Once hast thou heard my prayer, avenged my cause, and poured thy fury on the Grecian host. Hear yet again, and grant what now I ask. Withdraw thy chastening hand, and stay the plague. Thus, as he prayed, his prayer Apollo heard. Their prayers concluded, and the salt cake strewed upon the victim's head. They drew them back, and slew, 
and flayed. Then, cutting from the thighs the choicest pieces, and in double layers, or spreading them with fat, above them placed the due meat offerings. Then the aged priest, the cleft wood kindled, and libations poured of ruddy wine. Armed with the five forked prongs, the attendant ministers beside him stood. The thighs consumed with fire, the inward parts they tasted first, the rest upon the spits roasted with care, and from the fire withdrew. Their labors ended, and the feast prepared, they shared the social meal, nor lacked their aught. A rage of thirst and hunger satisfied, the attendant youths the flowing goblets crowned, and in fit order served the cups to all. All day they sought the favor of the god, the glorious paeans chanting, and the praise of Phoebus. He, well pleased, the strain received. But when the sun was set, and shades of nights o'erspread the sky, upon the sandy beach, close to their ship, they laid them down to rest. And when the rosy-fingered morn appeared, back to the camp they took their homeward way. A favoring breeze the far destroyer sent. They stepped the mast and spread the snowy sail, full in the midst the bellying sail received the gallant breeze, and round the vessel's prow the dark waves loudly roared as on she rushed, skimming the seas, and cut her watery way. Arrived where lay the widespread host of Greece, their dark-ribbed vessel on the beach they drew, high on the sand, and strongly shored her up. Then, through the camp, they took their several ways. Meantime, beside the ships, Achilles sat, the heaven-born son of Peleus, swift of foot, chafing with rage repressed. No more he sought the honoured council, nor the battlefield, but wore his soul away, and inly pined for the fierce joy and tumult of the fight. But when the twelfth revolving day was come, back to Olympus's heights the immortal gods, Jove at their head, together all returned. Then Thetis, mindful of her son's request, rose from the ocean wave, and sped in haste to high Olympus and the courts of heaven. The all-seeing son of Saturn there she found, sitting apart upon the topmost crest of many-ridged Olympus. At his feet she sat, and while her left hand clasped his knees, 
her right approached his beard, and suppliant thus she made her prayer to Saturn's royal son. Father, if e'er amid the immortal gods, by word or deed, I did thee service true, hear now my prayer. Avenge my hapless son, of mortals shortest lived, insulted now by mighty Agamemnon, king of men, and plundered of his lawful spoils of war. But Jove, Olympian, lord of council, thou avenge his cause, and give to Trojan arms such strength and power that Greeks may learn how much they need my son, and give him honour due. She said. The cloud-compeller answered not, but silent sat. Then Thetis clasped his knees and hung about him, and her suit renewed. Give me thy promise, sure, thy gracious nod, or else refuse, for thou hast none to fear, that I may learn of all the immortal gods how far I stand the lowest in thine eyes. Then, much disturbed, the cloud-compeller spoke, Sad work thou mak'st in bidding me oppose my will to Juno's, when her bitter words assail me, for full oft amid the gods she taunts me that I aid the Trojan cause. But thou return, that Juno see thee not, and leave to me the furtherance of thy suit. Lo, to confirm thy faith, I nod my head. And well among the immortal gods is known the solemn import of that pledge from me. For ne'er my promise shall deceive, or fail, or be recalled, if with a nod confirmed. He said, and nodded with his shadowy brows waved on the immortal head the ambrosial locks, and all Olympus trembled at his nod. They parted thus. From bright Olympus's heights the goddess hasted to her ocean caves, Jove to his palace. At his entrance all rose from their seats at once, not one presumed to wait his coming, but advanced to meet. Then on his throne he sat, but not unmarked of Juno's eye had been the council held in secret with the silver-footed queen, the daughter of the aged ocean god, and with sharp words she thus addressed her lord. Tell me, deceiver, who was she with whom thou late heldst counsel? 
ever tis thy way apart from me to weave thy secret schemes nor dost thou freely share with me thy mind to whom the sire of gods and men replied expect not juno all my mind to know my wife thou art yet would such knowledge be too much for thee whate'er i deem it fit that thou shouldst know nor god nor man shall hear before thee but what i in secret plan seek not to know nor curiously inquire whom answered thus the stag-eyed queen of heaven what words dread son of saturn dost thou speak ne'er have i sought or now or heretofore thy secret thoughts to know what thou think'st fit to tell i wait thy gracious will to hear yet fear i in my soul thou art beguiled by wiles of thetis silver-footed queen the daughter of the aged ocean god for she was with thee early and embraced thy knees and has i think thy promise sure thou wilt avenge achilles's cause and bring destructive slaughter on the grecian host to whom the cloud compeller thus replied presumptuous to thy busy thoughts thou givest too free a range and watchest all i do yet shalt thou not prevail but rather thus be aliened from my heart the worse for thee if this be so it is my sovereign will but now keep silence and my words obey lest all the immortals fail if i be wroth to rescue thee from my resistless hand he said and terror seized the stag-eyed queen silent she sat curbing her spirit down and all the gods in pitying sorrow mourned vulcan the skilled artificer then first broke silence and with soothing words addressed his mother juno white-armed queen of heaven sad wert indeed and grievous to be borne if for the sake of mortal men you too should suffer angry passions to arise and kindle broils in heaven so should our feast by evil influence all its sweetness lack let me advise my mother and i know that her own reason will my words approve to speak my father fair lest he again reply in anger and our banquet mar or jove the lightning's lord if such his will might hurl us from our seats so great his power but thou address him still with gentle words 
so shall his favour soon again be ours this said he rose and in his mother's hand a double goblet placed as thus he spoke have patience mother mine though much enforced restrain thy spirit lest perchance these eyes dear as thou art behold thee brought to shame and i though grieved in heart be impotent to save thee for tis hard to strive with jove when to thy succour once before i came he seized me by the foot and hurled me down from heaven's high threshold all the day i fell and with the setting sun on lemnos's isle lighted scarce half alive there i was found and by the Sintian people kindly nursed thus as he spoke the white-armed goddess smiled and smiling from his hand received the cup then to the immortals all in order due he ministered and from the flagon poured the luscious nectar while among the gods rose laughter irrepressible at sight of vulcan hobbling round the spacious hall thus they till sunset passed the festive hours nor lacked the banquet aught to please the sense nor sound of tuneful lyre by phoebus touched nor muse's voice who in alternate strains responsive sang but when the sun had set each to his home departed where for each the crippled vulcan matchless architect with wondrous skill a noble house had reared to his own couch where he was wont of old when overcome by gentle sleep to rest olympian jove ascended there he slept and by his side the golden-throned queen end of book one